0: All right, so uh, back for another uh, episode of Ga- uh, Cutting Room Floor, and we're in for a treat. So, we're <laughs> diving into Genesis 6, this idea of sons of God, and man, there's a lot of rabbit holes here. There's a lot of different perspectives. And, you know, one of the things we want to do in Cutting Room Floor is basically tackle some of the stuff that maybe you can't get into in a 30 to 45 mm-hmm. minute sermon. Uh, so what are those extra pieces? And I think this fits the bill. Totally. <laughs> yeah, so totally. why don't we start with, maybe you want to read it and yeah. then set out some of the basic, like, I think there's three primary theories throughout history sure. and start yeah, there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what we're referring to is a, a small little paragraph in the beginning of Genesis 6. Yep. Uh, the first four verses. So let me just read this uh, for us. Uh, Genesis 6 says this. Now it came about when the men began to multiply on the face of the land and the daughters were born to them that the sons of God, and that's going to be kind of our key phrase, it's verse 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful or good, and they took wives for themselves, whomever whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God, same phrase, came in the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. They were mighty men of old, men of renown. Okay. Now, there's a lot there, like yeah. you were saying. There's oh. both
0: a lot there and, like, it's easy to skip over.
1: Totally. Oh, yeah. It's, like, it's, it's a very strange passage. I think. Okay. Just recognizing that, like, this is, for me, this goes against all of my, like, rational, okay. you know, normal whatever. Um, but like you were saying, like, there's three kind of main views on how to, you know, dissect and, you know, interpret. What is this phrase? Who are these sons of God? Okay in this passage. Now, if people really want to go on a huge rabbit hole, dive deeper, I'd recommend the Bible project podcast on their feed. I'll link to it. They had 20 hours of 20 episodes, over 20 hours worth of conversations on this kind of topic of spiritual beings. And in particular, the sons of God, they had a whole episode and, and a half on this. So,
0: and maybe we can just recognize too, like when you read through the scriptures, like, angels and spiritual beings are all over the place. Totally. So it shouldn't yeah. surprise us that there might be something about them. But let's, let's get to those totally. theories oh, first. Oh, yes, yeah, for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. So let me just kind of start off with what we're talking about here. The sons of God is this phrase, ben Elohim, okay. in Hebrew. And, you know, the word ben is the word for son, and okay. it's plural here, sons of Elohim. And Elohim is kind of this generic word for God, mm-hmm. singular, or God's plural. Okay. So it's used both ways. Uh, in the scripture. So right? like
0: the gods of a different people group.
1: Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so it can be referred to the biblical God yeah. that we, you know, Yahweh, sure. all that, or generically other deities or others, even spiritual beings. Yeah. So it doesn't even have to refer to a God, but a spiritual being. Exactly. Yes, okay. totally. Um, so I think that's just important just to get totally. off, you know, on the, on the table. Just there. grammatically and contextually, exactly. culturally. Yep. Totally. Um, but now let's kind of dive into a few of the views starting with what may feel like the most normal view okay. um, Called the Sethite view and this basically says that the sons of God were godly Sethites now That's referring back to Seth being the son of Adam and Eve yeah. after the Cain and Abel incident yeah. that you talked about. The third about, son The yeah. third son exactly. Okay. So these are godly Sethites and and daughters of humankind who are ungodly Cainites so okay. from the line of Cain. Yep um, and there's kind of this forbidden union or intermarriage yeah. between, you know, you these the
0: banished Cain and his people exactly. with the Seth line. And it's like, Oh, totally. And yeah. so there's
1: this inter- intermingling of basically the godly line yeah. and the not godly line, yep. so to speak. Kay. Um, and so there's, there's reasons for this kind of looking at verse, verse three in particular of that passage, God seems to be directing punishment against humans in Kay. particular, um, so that's this why this view seems to not really take into account that this might be supernatural beings or anything. Mm. It's It's two human races or two human groups intermingling here. Okay? Um, and that phrase "son of God um, in the singular can refer to Adam. And yep. through in the, in the genealogy in Genesis five, and then also going into the New Testament in Luke chapter three, Adam is called, you know, singular, a son of God. Um, so there is some precedent for that phrase referring to a human. Although I will say that never in the plural. So, we, again, we have this phrase, sons of God, yep. in the plural. We don't actually have that phrase referring to humans in the Bible. But if you want to go the singular route, it could refer to okay. um, a human. So that's kind of the, the basic basics. View Sethi- number one. View number one. The
0: so Seth-Cain union. Intermingling, yep. yes.
1: The second one, we'll just call the, div- the divinized human royal view. This is kind of the view that says um, that basically the sons of God were these kingly or royal rulers that either in their own mythology or their own personal thinking thought of themselves as semi-divine or divine-like. Okay. Um, Kind of really important. Yeah. um, Which is not
0: uncommon in the ancient world. Totally. Very
1: common in the ancient world. Um, And so the sin here is that here's these very powerful, maybe arrogant um, kings. So these kingly type figures taking wives for themselves. And this is kind of a a polyamorous, polygamy type thing, okay. kind of similar to, to Lamech in Genesis yep. 4, taking multiple wives. Um, and so there, again, like you are mentioning, there are elements of humans in the ancient world, especially kingly humans, mm-hmm. thinking of themselves and placing themselves in totally. sort of this divine status. And so maybe the sons of God phrase... Um, isn't necessarily speaking that they are like true spiritual beings in, you know, it was their self perception, but their self perception as they think of them like that. And even in the, in the biblical narrative, David, again, he is a King and he's called a son of God. So there's this element of even in the Israelite tradition, their Kings referring to themselves or David being referred to So view
0: one is like the Seth Cain side. View two is sons of God as sort of these people who see themselves
1: yeah. as almost godly. Almost godlike, totally, yep. yeah, as, as like divine rulers, so to speak. And then the third one, again, I just really admit that this is, it's a strange, yeah. strange view, but, you know, for lack of a better term, just call it the supernatural view or the angelic view. And this, as crazy as it sounds, Genesis 6, 1 through 4, in this view would refer to spiritual beings or angelic creatures, okay. whatever language you prefer to use there, mating with human women. Okay. And then generating perhaps these Nephilim giant offspring. Okay, in so the you're world.
0: connecting the Nephilim, yeah. with the sons of God, and that these sort of giants, yes, are actually giants because they're descended from angels on descended some level, from angels or and some spiritual, spiritual beings. beings. Yeah, there's a
1: whole rabbit hole on yeah, yeah. the language of spiritual beings and angels and all that. Um, but there's actually surprisingly a lot of I guess data and biblical reasoning behind okay. this view. Um just so even, even like, though it's
0: maybe the oddest the
1: oddest especially for us in our modern yeah. you know you know material way of thinking of the world yep. there's a lot of jewish interpreters going back to the yep. first century and and even prior before the time of jesus who wrote about this and in, in works like first enoch and jubilees these kind of extra biblical books that yep. we might call them josephus
0: so there's there's books maybe just for people who totally, are yeah, like yeah. there's books that are written let's say after uh, the last prophet, yeah, but before the gospels, yeah,
1: before Matthew. So there's like a, yeah.
0: a 400-ish year period where there are these other apocryphal yeah. books that end up becoming important,
1: totally important to yeah. Jewish
0: thought, yes, but not necessarily incorporated in the Tanakh or the Septuagint or the yes. what we would consider the Old Testament, Old Testament,
1: exactly right. So they're important works; they're important for the Jewish you know tradition yeah. way of thinking. Um, but for the most part, they interpreted Genesis 6 in this supernatural okay. um, kind of way. But then you might be thinking, okay, what about the actual Bible? Yeah. Right? What about the actual scriptures? Well, what's interesting, and uh, follow the, the logic here, the, the Bible, the Old Testament that we have, it was originally written in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't know the exact date. But before the time of Jesus, early on, towards about 100, 200 years before Jesus, got translated into, into Greek, into the Septuagint,
0: yeah. which um, was a, a Bible that Paul and a lot of the New Testament authors relied upon, Totally,
1: yeah, the Greek translation. They're often quoting when they're quoting from yeah. the Old Testament, they're quoting from the Greek translation yeah. of the Old Testament, which is a whole other rabbit hole yeah. in itself. Another
0: rabbit hole, <laughs> but maybe one of the reasons why you can't always find the exact quote totally. in the Old Testament is because Paul is going from the Septuagint, the Septuagint. which is slightly different, different sometimes. Totally,
1: Yeah. Yeah. But when the Septuagint translators translated Genesis six, They translate it with the phrase angelos theo, which means angels of God.
0: Or messengers of God. Messengers
1: of God, totally, yeah. Yeah. And so there's this whole thing right there of seeing, okay, it seems like the translators of the Septuagint um, maybe went along the lines of the supernatural type view. Even more so in the Hebrew Bible itself, this phrase, sons of God, there's other narratives, and I have some in the notes here I can link to them. Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2, the various places in the Psalms where this phrase, sons of God, pretty much as clear as you can get, you know, when you're dealing with a controversial thing like yeah. this, more than likely refers to spiritual beings and not just yeah. human rulers. So, so the textual
0: at- references within the Old Testament point to spiritual beings. Exactly. Yes. Okay. For, the, for the most
1: part. So Job, yeah. again, those references yep. from Job and in the Psalms. And then in addition to that, the Canaanite mythology, okay. kind of Israel's neighbors of the day, had a similar phrase that, if you were to translate it into Hebrew, sons of El or sons of God, yeah. would, in the Canaanite mythology, refer to spiritual beings, divine type, okay. angelic-like like figures. Now, all right. on top of all that, I think one piece of evidence that, for me, this is kind of where I, just to show my cards, maybe yeah. land a little bit with this, is when you get to the, the New Testament books of Jude and Second Peter, they seem to be referring back to Genesis 6 in this kind of supernatural uh, type, Type way or type view. They so, seem
0: to understand Genesis six, in your opinion, in this third way of interpreting exactly. Genesis six as spiritual
1: beings. Spiritual beings, and so in particular Jude, it's, it's one chapter or one, yeah. s, you know, paragraph, whatever, in our Bible. So if you ever want to say I read a whole book of the Bible in one day? <laughs> start there. Start with, start with the book of Jude. You might
0: not understand much of it. But. No, it's a, lot, it's a very dense
1: book. But anyway, the sixth verse in Jude. Um, almost parallels a line in, in the book of Enoch, which, again, we referenced earlier. Now this might be, feel like a little bit of a rabbit hole. But Enoch, this extra-biblical book, was one of those works that referred back to Genesis 6 in this supernatural view, yep. worldview. Jude, the New Testament book that's in our actual yeah. Bible, quotes from the book of Enoch, references the book of Enoch within it in Jude chapter 6, or Jude verse 6, and also verses 14 and 15, yeah. where he's clearly quoting from First Enoch. Yeah. Um, and the language there of, in Jude verse six says, and the angels did not keep their own position, but left their proper dwelling seems to be hinting at this mindset, this way of thinking of perhaps there are these spiritual beings yeah. that are. So
0: potentially Jude has that in mind. Yes. And we don't exactly know, totally. but potentially has yes. Genesis six in mind totally. about them leaving their proper dwelling yeah. uh, and finding attractive women, it, women on the earth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so kind of the basic logic behind this is that here is some sort of, I guess, narrative depicting like the fall of some spiritual beings. So it's all the language. I think you might have mentioned this, too, of seeing and taking mm-hmm. what is good in their eyes. That's the same language of Genesis three in the fall. Yeah, but here it's applied yeah. to these figures, these sons of God figures yeah. who are seeing these women, taking these women as, as their wives because they're good or beautiful. Yeah. Um, to, their, to their eyes. So there's this kind of fall yeah. motif. So you have sort of on. the
0: depiction of the fall of humankind, and maybe there's this allusion to the fall of angelic beings. Exactly, yeah. That's kind of the, the reasoning, yeah. the,
1: the, kind of the, the way people would yeah. interpret or go. So those
0: are three different theories. Yeah, There's some evidence for all of them, and all of them are a little awkward.
1: They're all a little awkward. They all, you know, not all your questions are probably going to be satisfied yeah, sure. with all of them. Um, I kind of showed my cards a little bit with yeah. that and i hold that, you know, open-handed, yeah. um, Well, and
0: I, maybe just to sort of to say something, right? Like I said this earlier, but there is a temptation in our modern moment mm-hmm. to discount any spiritual being other than
1: God, Totally. which yeah. is an odd thing. We yeah.
0: already believe in a invisible being. Yeah. Why would we then not believe in sort of less powerful invisible totally. beings? Yeah. Um, So there is a clear biblical precedent for there being angels, messengers, other beings. Yes. Uh, The question then is, do they ever, uh, (laughs) you know, find partners, spouses, whatever, on earth? And, you know, again, this is where it starts getting funky.
1: It gets funky, yeah. And just so that, you know, again, it it feels strange, it seems strange. Again, a lot of that might just be us and our own modern conception of things. You know, I will say we do have biblical precedent and categories for spiritual beings taking on human-like appearance. We'll see that in totally. Genesis 18 and 19. Yep. The angel the, of the, the Lord visitors figure. visitors in front of... Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah yep. with Abraham and Lot. That totally. whole story. The angel of the Lord seems to appear in bodily type form yep. in the Old Testament. So it's yep. not out of the question. Yep. Um, for well, it
0: seems like Mary totally. and these people, they in the Gospels, they recognize they rec- the yeah. angels. Totally. Um, so it's hard to tell what they're exactly seeing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, angels are at major transitional stories yeah. in the entire Bible.
1: And I think just broadly speaking, maybe to kind of wrap this up, this whole kind of worldview that the, the, the biblical authors are trying to you know, have us enter into is this world that has, like you're saying categories for beings and creatures that we perhaps don't see with our own physical eyes. talking snake, talking snake, these spiritual beings, angels, demons, you know, there's a whole rabbit hole. There's a whole study, you know, that you can go on to all this. But I think the point for us is to recognize that, we live in a world that is inhabited by beings and creatures that we cannot see. Now, you can go really weird with this. Yeah, and totally. A whole bunch of dangerous stuff. Yeah, with that. and we're not trying to do that. Totally. But, we, yeah. but
0: it is important to recognize that we do live in a world
1: yeah. where there are other beings totally. that are not always even on our side. Totally, exactly. And I think, you know, I'm going to not get the quote exactly right, but C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters kind of has this, you know, paragraph where he's getting at this idea of, you know, there's one or, one of two equal and opposite errors that people will take where either a demon or a spiritual being is behind every single bush and every single thing, or you just completely ignore it and it doesn't exist at all. Um, And we're not trying to do either one of those. But those are common
0: perspectives or common takes. And I I would say probably for us, we're a little more on the, we believe in God, everything else. Like, (laughs) really, is there an angel there? And yet, we might be we might be better off thinking about like, cause Paul, I know Paul has something to say in Ephesians yeah. six. I think you were going to say something totally, about yeah. it. And yeah. I think just
1: to maybe land, this is just talking about how prayer intersects with what we would consider like the spiritual realm yeah. or principalities and powers and how Paul seems to really anchor this for practically for the Ephesian Christians and for us today yeah. that this really matters as it comes to prayer, that prayer changes reality and, and mm. there's this whole thing where it's, you know, it's a whole beyond kind yeah. of my own you know, understanding. But how prayer intersects with how god wants to work in the world and how god is overcoming evil and even evil that we cannot perceive with our own senses that we yeah. have you know today so i think just to recognize that as we're talking about this as strange as it sounds yeah. you know the book of colossians talks about how jesus defeated the principalities and powers and spiritual you know forces of evil and mm-hmm. darkness and all that but at the end of the day we're also talking about how in line with Jesus's victory, we want to submit ourselves to him and engage with that um, through prayer. And even though the text may seem strange, just to have that category for us um, is important.
0: Well, and when we go through the life of Jesus, a lot of his ministry deals with beings that are not human. Totally. Yeah. Uh, He is tempted by Satan. Yeah. He, I mean, so there is precedent for this again, back to Genesis six, There are three major theories throughout history. We're sort of leaning on the most odd, but (laughs) maybe the one that has the most precedent, too. Yeah, yeah. So welcome to Cutting Room Floor. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about the stuff we don't always get to on Sunday morning. Have a good one. Awesome.